0: Awesome. You can have a seat and be seated. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Just hold your spot there. Uh, Luke chapter 18 is where we are going to start and, uh, and finish. And uh, we'll pull in one or two other passages, but Luke chapter 18 primarily, then we'll move into chapter 19 just a little bit as well. So we're in a series called Serve It Up. Uh, I started it off two weeks ago with the very first message in this series. We talked about the need for a culture of serving uh, in our own lives, in our life as a church as well. And then last Sunday they all was out. And uh, Jason Gamble, our equipping pastor, uh, preached the second message in the series, did a phenomenal job. If you weren't here, be sure to check it out online. That's what I did and uh, and watch the service there. And it was a great, great message. And I really encourage you to go back and to check into that. But today will be the, the third message in the series Serve It Up and uh, just kind of walking through scripture, see what God tells us about the necessity of serving as believers and being churches that serve as well. So how many of you are Olympics fans? I'm curious. You really, really like the Olympics. Any of you? All right. More than in the first service. There were less hands that went up in the first service. I've always been an Olympics junkie. It's a little harder when you're a parent, right, because life gets busier, and uh, you can't just sort of plant there and watch every single night. But we've been watching uh, some, of the, some of the events as they've unfolded for the Olympics. It's just been as much fun as when I was a kid. It's just, just absolutely engaging. Last night, especially, if any of you watched last night, the swimming stuff was really really good. But the, to me, I think so far before you get to the track and field, um, I mean, the swimming has, has just been the best part for me personally. Others of you may disagree. But uh, you watch these swim strokes that I don't know how they do it. Like the butterfly, for example, right? You see the, the butterfly where they do this whole thing. I can't even get my shoulder up that high. And uh, I've tried that in the pool before. You do not want to see it. I would not. I can't even get like two of those, two of those butterfly strokes. And I would drown. It would be a life preservation attempt for me if I tried to do the uh, the butterfly, but I mean those guys, those men and women, they just crush it. They just fly through the pool and doing all these different do all these different strokes. It's just amazing. But when you watch the butterfly, to me, what I can't even do this. I mean, they put their head down in the water for like two or three strokes, and they come up and you know, and they put their head back down, and they're going. And, well, I got curious, and I wondered how long. What's the world's record for the person who's holding their breath the longest? Uh, Just as a human, you know, we're not talking like dolphins and whales, but what person holds the record? Now, the average, at least from what I found in my extensive research, right? Meaning, probably one website, but what I found as the the average that a person, a human, can keep their breath, hold their breath, is 30 to, to, to 90 seconds. Now, that's the average. I'm pretty sure they were talking to middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? Uh, because for me, like when you get a little bit older, I, 30 seconds, I mean, are you kidding me? I'm talking about maybe 12 for me on a good day. I'm thinking I could hold my breath underwater. Well, the world record is, uh, is held by a guy, and I'm sure I'm going to mess his name up, but he's 56 years old, Budmir Shamat, And he holds the record. Here's his picture. Here's his picture. All right, he is celebrating for a reason. I would look excited like that too if I held my breath for 24 minutes and 37. Minutes. Seconds. That's the stopwatch right there in front of him. And you can see he's in a wetsuit in a pool. This isn't like saying, okay, I held my breath, but really he's sneaking a little breath here. This is underwater. 20, are you kidding me? 24 minutes, almost 25 whole entire minutes this man held his breath. Now now here's the thing, and we all understand this. We can take his picture down because it makes me sick a little bit, but uh, it scares me and intimidates me. But here's the thing. Life is not designed, right, to be lived with just one big gulp of air. I mean, we don't go through the rest of our, Day, like we wake up and, like, all right, let me get my breath. And then we go through the rest of the day. We're not designed to operate that way. I mean, we're designed to consistently throughout the course of the day to breathe. I mean, that's the way we're created, that's the way we've been designed. It is the same exact way. When we look at this thing called serving, here's what we often think. We think that serving only comes sporadically, that it's when an opportunity arises and when the church asks me to serve, or if, if maybe there's this perfect storm where I have time and I feel like it and all these other things come together, then I can step in and meet a need and serve. That is not the way serving works. Serving by design for us as Christians is designed to happen consistently throughout our lives. Consistently through the course of our lives, we are to be people with a mindset, with a default mode of serving. That's what we do. That's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He came to serve, or to serve, not to be served. In fact, Galatians chapter five, we've got this this passage on the uh, slide behind me. You don't have to you don't have to turn there. You can just just read it or listen as I read it. Galatians five, Paul is writing. He says, "For you were called to freedom, brethren. Right, brethren. He's talking to Christians. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. So we started off this uh, this series two weeks ago. One of the One of the principles we looked at was How when we as believers choose to serve, when we serve another person, when we serve their needs, what often happens is it's that serving that impacts and softens another person's heart so that they can be impacted by God and by His grace. There are a lot of people, their hearts are hardened, right? They had a bad church experience. Maybe some of you, you're back in church now for the first time in a long time, or you've just recently started coming back because you did the church thing and you kind of got let down, you got burned, or you trusted that Christian business person who had the fish on the back, you know, their business card or on their card you trusted them and you hired them and they ripped you off right and you've just got this taste in your mouth about Christianity because of that sadly and now you're kind of trying you're you're starting to try it out. There are other people they they have all these different views right of who God is and of what God's word says and many of those views are wrong. They're shaped by politics or they're shaped by culture. They're shaped by their buddy at work who says, oh you can't believe any of that, right? And, And their hearts hardened and what they need to see is somebody who loves Jesus authentically who's gonna kinda come alongside of them. And who's gonna serve them and serve their needs, right? And put Jesus on display. And when you do that, what happens is that heart begins to soften. And what we saw two weeks ago was that our serving accomplishes that. It can soften a person's heart who's far from God, soften a person's heart who's close to God when they see our genuine love for Him that has changed us to the point to where we're willing to serve them. And then Jason made mention last week, when I went back and watched his message online, he made comment um, in regards to how every single one of us have a role to play. Every single one of us have a part to play as believers when it comes to serving. Every single one of us. He made a point that I had never, never thought about before. He, he even went so far as to say that the most valuable person many times when it comes to serving other people, many times in a church context, the most valuable person is the one who's missing. And I never thought about that. We typically think about the MVP as being the one who's there, who does the most on the football team or on the baseball team or whatever it may be. We think about the MVP, the most valuable player, or the most valuable person as being the one who does the most. But what Jason pointed out last week, and it's an excellent point, is that many times the most valuable person is the one who's not there. And, and, and it's the void that's created. It's, it's the, the, the need that goes unmet because someone didn't step into their role that God had already created for them uniquely. And so we put all that together We begin to get this picture of what it looks like for us to serve, that it is a call, that it makes a difference in people's lives, that every one of us ultimately have a part to play. For us here in our church, we've summarized, as I mentioned at the beginning of the series, we've kind of summarized what God's called us to do in our little six-word mission statement. Now, we've got a blown-out version of it, just like you probably do in your workplace or wherever, but um, our six words just sort of capture what we're about and what we aim for as a church, and that's to lead people to love Jesus, to serve others, and to make disciples. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, we can do the first one, love Jesus, all day long, up one side and down the other. But if we're not doing the middle one, the last one's not going to get accomplished. And what Jesus said is equally as important as loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He also said right before he went back to heaven, after he died and rose again, he said to go into all the world and make disciples. They're both equally as important. If we don't serve other people, if we don't embrace this culture of serving as believers, individuals, and as a church, right? We're not going to be people who make disciples, and we won't be a church that makes disciples. And Jesus takes both of those things really, really seriously. So what does it mean to serve? I think one of the best ways we can see is in the passage we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 18. We're going to move on over from there eventually into the first part of Luke 19. We're going to see kind of two snapshots out of Jesus's life, and we're going to pull a few principles out too that are just really, really powerful if if you're willing to see them here. In God's word. So Luke chapter 18. Here's the here's the background. Here's the context of Luke eighteen. Jesus in Luke eighteen has a sight set towards Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. Right? He is going to Jerusalem for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. Why is he going there? He's going there to die. Every road leads to Jerusalem at this stage in Jesus' ministry. He's heading there ultimately to give his life as a sacrifice, like he'd mentioned throughout the Gospels, that he came to give his life as a sacrifice for many, as a ransom for many. It's in Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested falsely. He's going to be tried illegally. He's going to be convicted wrongly. He's going to be crucified, and he's ultimately going to rise from the dead. All that's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem, and everything that happens in Jerusalem impacts this whole entire entire belief system called Christianity. Christianity hinges on what happens in Jerusalem, and that's where Jesus is headed. Let's, let's even bring it down. Let's pull the spotlight in a little tighter. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, and if I were to ask you, are you going to heaven one day, and you were to say yes, the whole reason, one of, part of the reason you're going to heaven, even have that opportunity, is because of what happened in Jerusalem. And that's where he was headed. That's where his intent was. That's where his focus was. Don't miss that. That's so important to the context of what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 18. And so while he's on the way to Jerusalem, he has a couple of encounters in a city called Jericho that have incredible significance for what it means to serve others. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 18. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture, but Luke chapter 18. Let's begin at verse 35 so verse 35 it says as Jesus was approaching Jericho a blind man was sitting by the road begging now hearing a crowd going by he began to inquire what this was they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he called out saying Jesus son of David have mercy on me Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight, and he began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. So Jesus is traveling through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho, many would say, the oldest city in the world, He's passing through Jericho. Jericho was not the destination. Jericho was not the final intent, right? He's going to Jerusalem because of everything that was going to happen there, but he's passing through Jericho. And as he passes through Jericho, Jesus hears a sound that undoubtedly he had heard many times before as a Jew living in those regions. He heard the sound of a man begging and crying for mercy. He hears the sound, and it gets his attention. Other gospel accounts tell us this man's name is Bartimaeus, and it's interesting because when Jesus passes by through the city of Jerusalem on the way to the bigger destination, or or, or through the city of Jericho on the way to the bigger destination of Jerusalem, he he had a choice to make, and when he heard the cries, he had to make a decision. Do I stop and do I ultimately meet this need and serve this need and serve this person or do I continue on towards where my ultimate destination is? And it's the same decision that you and I have to make every single time that we engage another person in need. It doesn't mean that we can meet every single need of every single person and it doesn't necessarily mean... The 24 hours a day of every day of the week, of every week of, of the year, doesn't mean that we're just constantly doing it. There are other things we have to do. We serve our families by working a job. We we serve in a variety of ways but there are those moments right for us as people where we encounter a need of a person and it may be a friend it may be a family member it may be a coworker it may be somebody who's a total stranger but we 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 have uh, we we see that need right and we have a choice to make or maybe here in our church that we've taken ownership of and we say this is my church man this is my ministry and I'm a part of it I'm a, not just a pew sitter I want to be a part of this family and I'm engaged here and I've made a commitment here maybe it's in the context of a church and whenever we see the need that's there, we have to make a choice. I mean, it's a choice. It's a choice to either step in and engage or to step away and disengage. But we have a choice every single time. And there are a few principles that come out of this passage. All three of them, to me, are just incredibly, incredibly powerful. I didn't make them up. They come right out of the passage. The first one is this, choosing to serve is a choice for inconvenience. I just want to lay that out. Choosing to serve, if you and I make a choice to serve, and to live life where that's our default mode. It's a choice for inconvenience. I I wish I could pitch it a different way. (laughs) I wish I could say that somehow, you know, when you choose to serve, God just works this miraculous mix, and somehow it's always convenient. He just sort of applies the serving opportunities with the convenient times. He doesn't do that. If we choose to, to say, I, I want to be a servant, I want to serve others, it's going to be inconvenient. I mean, and, and, and here's what often happens whenever, whenever I face an opportunity to serve, and probably when you face an opportunity to serve, kind of the anatomy of the choice to serve, right? It kind of it sounds like this. We begin to make a decision. We see the need that's in front of us, we see that person in their need, or we see that opportunity to serve, and we begin to ask ourselves these questions Number one, do I have time? Number two, what else do I have to get done? Number three, do I even feel like it? Number four, what difference is this going to make? Do I have time (laughs) to do this? What else do I have to get done? Do I even feel like it? And will it even matter? That's kind of the anatomy of a choice to serve. And many times as that grid is worked through for many, many believers, sadly, it ultimately falls out to where we disengage, we step away rather than engaging that opportunity that God has put right there in front of us. It's interesting here in our church that there are numerous opportunities to serve. And let me say, I want to preface this comment by saying this, that there are opportunities to serve here in our church on Sundays and Wednesdays primarily but there are far more opportunities, and there's a far greater call, I think, to serve between the Sundays than just on Sundays, if that makes sense, right? You, you, you encounter a lot of needs that, that a church can't meet, but you, you can help. You can step in. But just looking at our church, for example, say if you choose to serve, and many of you who serve in this ministry, you know this, if you serve in our Olympians ministry, kindergarten through fifth grade, Wednesday evenings, uh, many of our folks who serve in that ministry uh, are going to be flying in here after work. They're 9 to 5, they're 8 to 6, whatever it is for you, and they come you know, flying into the park a lot. That's why we have speed bumps out there. They can fly into the park a lot, and uh, they've had a long day. They've had a grueling day, maybe their boss just chewed them out right before they left work, or maybe they're the boss and they had to get on somebody else right before, and they come in here, and they sort of flip that little switch, and they come flying in, and they're tired, and they would rather do something else, So they'd rather eat supper before rather than after church. But they made a commitment, and they see the investment, and they know what happens when they pour their lives into little kids that you don't always get to see the immediate reward. But man, you're planting those seeds, and you're planting those seeds, and you're planting those seeds, and God's going to water those, and God's going to tend to those, and it's going to make a difference. But it is not convenient. If you were to ask most of our folks who serve and volunteer on a Wednesday night, is this convenient for you? Probably 90% of them would say, no, it's highly inconvenient. <laughs> but I don't serve because it's convenient. It's convenient. I serve because of the call, and I serve because of my heart, and I serve because of the opportunity ultimately that's there. It's the same for any of those who serve in any area of our ministry here. It is incredibly inconvenient, and when you serve as a lifestyle, more often than not, those times when you step in and serve someone, it's going to be at the most inconvenient times of your day and of your routine. It's just going to be that way, and we have to decide, is it worth it, and are we willing to serve regardless? Look at what it says here in John 18. Let's, let's move back a little bit before what I read. John chapter 18. Here's where I mentioned about Jerusalem earlier. John 18, verse 31. It says, Then he, Jesus, took the twelve aside, and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. He tells how they're headed there. The prophets had prophesied it that he would be handed over, he would be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, he would be beaten and he would be crucified, and then he would rise again from the dead. But it says in verse 31, he tells his disciples, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. Chapter 19, verse 1 says he was passing through. Jericho the countdown has started Jerusalem is now in the bullseye it is in the target zone right that's where Jesus is headed but when he encounters Bartimaeus here by this roadside look at what it says in chapter 18 verse 40 it says and Jesus stopped he hears the cries of this man who has some level of knowledge of who he is at least some level of faith Right? Because he refers to Jesus as the Son of David. there's a tie in there to the Old Testament. He knew who Jesus was as the Messiah, and he cries out for mercy. And Jesus, with his gaze on Jerusalem and his intent tent on Jerusalem, with Jerusalem firmly in his sight, it says here, Luke tells us that when he hears these cries that he stops, and he comes over to this man in the midst of his need. L- let me ask this question. How many reasons did Jesus have not to stop? I mean, how many legitimate reasons did Jesus have just not to give this guy the time of day and not stop and invest in him? He had a lot of reasons not to. He could have like, hey, uh, you know, uh, thanks for the the worship. You're right, I am the son of David, but you know, I got to get to Jerusalem because I kind of got like some eternal work to accomplish here. I'm sort of on a timeline, right? The prophets have prophesied it. I kind of get on my way. He had all kind of reasons. He had all kind of outs, right? Even the people were telling the guy, man, just shut your mouth. Don't you know who this is? Just let him go. Just shut your mouth. You don't need to be crying out. You're embarrassing us. I mean, he, he had every reason to step away, but Jesus didn't. He stopped. In fact, the, the very next passage, chapter 19, look at what it says in chapter 19. Luke continues. It's like one story. It says, chapter 19, verse 1, he entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Got a little song about him. <laughs> he was a chief tax collector. He was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. He was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead. I mean, he's quick thinking. He ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. In order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. He looked at Zacchaeus. He, he looked up. He made eye contact with him. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And, and the, you read the rest of that passage. What you find is at the end of that little uh, uh, visit together, Zacchaeus is now a follower of Jesus. He knows who he is. He knows who he is as a, as a sinner, right? Zacchaeus does about himself, and he submits his life to Jesus. Choice to serve is always a choice for inconvenience. And we have to do business with that. Principle number two, choosing to serve comes after we choose to see and hear. Choosing to serve comes after we choose to see and hear. Jesus heard Bartimaeus and he stopped. He saw Zacchaeus wonder if he did a double tag like, what's that on a tree? <laughs> he sees Zacchaeus, and he, and he stops, and he speaks. Both of those opportunities to serve would have been missed had Jesus not heard and had Jesus not seen. <clears throat> Let, let's, get, let's get real for a moment. Because all of us, including the guy who's sharing this message, don't always see the way Jesus sees when it comes to other people, right? And we don't always hear the way Jesus hears. We have our tendency to put people into categories, and everybody's category is a little different. Let's say we see somebody with a need, somebody that we could legitimately serve maybe through our gifts or our talents or our resources or just our life experience. We've got a voice that we could speak into their life. We could serve them, but what often happens is for many of us as Christians, right, and we should know better, but we do it, is that we begin to put people into these categories, and we we categorize them based maybe on where they live, based maybe on what color they are, based maybe on what their nationality is, based on maybe what their life history is or where their life choices have brought them, or maybe we categorize them based on a political party or political leanings, or we we categorize people in all these different kinds of categories, a, a bazillion different categories, it seems. Whereas whenever, uh, whenever Jesus saw people, he didn't categorize them based on you know, political leanings or financial status or where they went to school or what they drive or who they know or how good they look. He didn't categorize people that way. Jesus had one category of people. He had one category of people. And the people that he saw, it seems to be at least in the Gospels, it seems to be that the people that he saw were categorized based on people for whom he was going to die. <laughs> that was his category. You know, I'm, I'm going to die for these people. I'm going to die for the religious people who are out to get me, and they're, they're, they hate me for all their worth, and they're going to crucify me, but I'm still going to die for them, and salvation's going to be available, and I'm going to die for the woman who's been caught in adultery. And I'm going to die for the, the blind man on the side of the road who has nobody else to help him, and I'm going to die for this little guy, Zacchaeus, who's ripped people off his whole entire life, it seems, at least professionally. And I'm going to die for all of them, and so I've come not to be served, but to serve. Am I going to waste my time putting them all in categories? And well, I'll serve you because you look like me. And I'm going to serve you because you kind of live in my neighborhood. And I'm going to serve you because, because we believe a lot of the other same things. He didn't do that. He just, he just served. And the reason he served like he did, the way it started was because he heard the needs and he saw the needs of the people who were around him. And listen, if we just pause for a moment, man, I encourage you to try this today. Try it tomorrow. Try it in your workplace Try it in the places where you go, just just go in with a mindset. I'm, I'm just going to listen and I'm going to see. I'm going to observe. And I don't want it to be my, I don't, don't want it to be my, my permanent posture of where I'm always just listening and seeing and never doing anything. But I just want to pause. I did this little little trick with one of our kids, I think it was April, I think a few weeks ago, and I'd read it in a book, and, and I did it. The book said do this, and I did it, and it was interesting. Don't try it now. Just kind of listen maybe, but later. It said just close your eyes and be real still and just listen for the different sounds that you hear and count the sounds that you hear. It's amazing. When, if you do it now, it's just going to be creepy, so don't. You're going to creep me out. You're going to creep the person out next to you. Just do it later. Do it, do it when you're at camp I eating lunch today, okay, or wherever you go. Creep, creep them out but it's amazing when you pause and you listen how many different sounds you hear you hear this this bird or you hear a car driving by or you hear somebody over here you hear the air running all these different sounds you know they're there they were there all the time but we never heard them you know what well, there are broken people out there there are people that are there are people that are that are hurting there are people that are that are in need of a savior and you know what they're even willing to follow one if they just find him But what they've never had is a compelling reason to do so, because they've never really been introduced to Him or been shown what He looks like. And when you serve, because you hear you hear the hurt in people's lives, you hear the pain, and you see you see the needs that are there. When we hear, when we see the way Jesus heard and the way Jesus saw, what often happens is is it positions us to be able to serve them and to have have an impact on them. That in many cases can last can last forever. You know, when you serve here in this ministry, for example, when you serve here in this, in this ministry, let, let's say we've got a number of different areas of ministry where you can serve. We've got a lot of them on this little help wanted board out here that I'll mention in just a little bit. But let's just say door greeter. Let's use one of those as an example. We don't really have a fancy name for it. I don't know. Jason may have. I may have just missed the fancy name. But a door greeter, the person who stands at the door, they're part of the welcome team. Right? and they open the door for people on Sundays. You probably had it happen, or somebody stands here, right, or back at that door, some other entrance, and they greet you. What what you may think is, you know what, I don't want to serve in that area because, I mean, come on, seriously, all I'm doing is open a door. I mean, I don't want to do that. You know what happens is you have no idea. I'm telling you, because I have some of these conversations, you have no idea who walks through those doors on any given Sunday who may be walking in for the first time in a long time, Or for the first time with a brand new perspective because their marriage is struggling or they're about to go under in their business or they just got laid off or their family member is really sick or they're going through some type of a personal hardship and they come through that door and they are hurting and they just need something to hang on to. Are they at a place in their life where they are just searching and they're struggling and they've tried everything else and the only thing they got was let down or addicted or whatever may be the case and they come into a place like this and they say, you know what, my grandma told me I just need to get in church and she told me that 24 years ago and maybe today is the day and they come through those doors. What do you think the difference it makes when they come through that first door and there's somebody there with the joy of Christ showing through their life and all they're doing is open the door saying, man, great to see you today. Glad you're here. My name is Brooks. Use your name. If you said Brooks, it'd be weird. You think that would make a difference? Andy Stanley, and I totally agree, Andy Stanley says that the sermon begins out in the park a lot. You know what? That is totally true. When I go to another church, which is not often the case, you're the only ones who let me preach on a weekly basis, but on those rare times when I go to another church to preach, right, or maybe I'm visiting some other church and I go, I'm telling you, I already have an idea of what the church is like long before the church ever starts. I've already formulated that. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or judgmental way. You just kind of get a feel for what it's like. Well, this church is probably like this or like that. Based on your experience, for the service even starts. And When somebody takes their life and they man a door and they welcome people and they help them and they serve them, that makes a difference. And it puts Jesus on display. Grow group leaders, those of you that lead Bible studies, whether you are here on our church when you lead those Bible studies, those grow groups or whether you lead a Bible study over lunch at work or somewhere else, um, I know a person in their their neighborhood where they live, had never really led a Bible study before, just wanted to start it up and get one going. They started it up, had never done it before, took a huge step of faith. You know what? When you do that, you are teaching the truth of God's Word in the midst of a sea of voices that teach everything else but God's truth and you are filling a void and you are using your life and it is not convenient to prepare to teach God's word every single week when you're working a full-time job and raising a family but you do it and it makes a huge difference. When you serve in preschool or you serve in children or you serve in student ministry, you are taking those, the, the, those students, whether they are, 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 are in a bed as a newborn in, in a, little, a little crib or whether they are, are um, uh, in kindergarten or, or fourth or fifth grade or whether they're middle school or high school, right? And you are pouring into them and you are serving them, and many of whom have uh, home lives where they're not going to get any of this any other time. They're, they're not going to get the love that goes along with it either. But when they come here, they're in your group, and you're serving them, or, or, or you're in their world, and you're ministering to them, and you're listening to them, and you're giving them attention, and you're showing them that you care, and you're praying for them. Many think that doesn't make a difference. Yes, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference, and it's not convenient, but oftentimes that difference comes because you see and you hear the need. Principle number three, and we're done. Choosing to serve results, always results, in God being glorified. I don't have this on the screen behind me, but if you have your Bible there, you can look down in verse 43 with Bartimaeus, the blind man that Jesus healed. At the end of that passage, verse 43, the very last verse, Luke 18, it says immediately he regained his sight and he began following him. He began following Jesus, listen to this, glorifying God. The result of Jesus' serving was that he glorified God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. So the man glorified God, the people praised God. And I know what you're thinking. All right, Brooks, can we just please drag the gorilla out of the corner and into the middle of the room here? And and here it is. I'm not Jesus. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to be like healing people at the mall from blindness. All right, this is Jesus. How does this relate to me? Let, let, Let me just say, you're right. We're not Jesus, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the very needs that surround us that even Jesus himself did not meet when he walked this earth because he was one person in one place at one time. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have an opportunity to serve them. And we might not do the miraculous that gets mentioned in Scripture, but we can do the miraculous that softens a heart and that draws a person closer to Christ. We can do the miraculous that helps to strengthen a person's faith who's about to throw in the towel. We can do the miraculous of planting seeds that somewhere along the way, somebody else might get to see the harvest. And it comes when we choose to serve and that's and that's amazing thought because it's there that we jump off of the we jump out of the out of the stands and onto the playing field right it's there where we when we serve where we move from observer to participant we, we move from kind of like you know I and y'all to we whenever we choose to serve I did a funeral this past week I would say for a fellow church member, which is true, but I would prefer to say for a friend, David Gray. Many of you knew David. His family's here today. David would sit right back here in front of the, uh, the sound booth um, pretty much every Sunday that he, was, that he was healthy. Diagnosed with cancer about a year ago. He fought it as hard as anyone I've ever seen fight cancer. The Lord called him home a week ago a week ago today last Sunday. He did a service on Wednesday, I believe it was <clears throat> i would I would call David to check in on him, and uh he would encourage me, and I knew he didn't feel well. I knew there were a lot of other things he could complain about, and he never did, but he would often encourage me by letting me know what God was doing in his life and he would say and he said it not just to me but to others he said, brooks you know when when God heals me i want to I want to have a ministry to." cancer patients and to caregivers and to hospital staff. I want want that as my ministry. David worked at Gulfstream. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary in that sense. But he wanted to use his life in serving. And, And I made the comment at his funeral service on Wednesday. I said, you know, David wasn't healed on this side. God healed him on the other side, right? He's healed now. And even though he may not have been able to serve, in the way that he had envisioned, man, I'm telling you, he served. (laughs) And he impacted people. And he made a difference through the life that God had given him, through his demeanor, through his faith, and through his circumstance. He leveraged it to put God on display as he served other people. I hope your life experience is different. But regardless, you have one and you have gifts and talents and skills and relationships, and you can do things that I can't do, and I can do some things that you can't do. But what God has called us to do is just to take what he's given us and to surrender it to him and then to serve the best we can (laughs) and to plant seeds. Sometimes that's inside the church. Oftentimes it's between the Sundays outside the church. But we serve because he set the example. He saved us for it and he sent us out into this world. Not to save it, only he can do that, but to show it what he, what he looks like when we serve it. Out on this board, I hope you'll take a look, if you haven't already, and to just snag one of those tags off of some of the greatest needs that we have right now in our ministry. You can scan the QR code if you'd rather do that. Um, regardless, if you're already serving in areas in our church, we're not asking you to do one more thing. You do what you're doing the best that you can, but if you're looking for a way to invest your life, Within this ministry, we've got ways for you to do it, and we're trying to make it easy for you. Hey, listen, it's not going to be convenient. It's going to cost. (laughs) But the reward, I promise you, will far outweigh anything that you can put in. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe for some of you today, this may be one of the first times you've ever even heard about having a relationship with God to begin with. And maybe you've come today with a mindset of thinking, you know what, I need to clean up some things in my life and I need to get better. And, and uh, you know what, this is just what I needed to hear because I'm gonna start doing some things and that's gonna earn favor with God and maybe he'll give me a place in heaven. You know, it doesn't work that way. God calls us to serve him once we have a relationship with him through Jesus. We could never earn our way to God. And he doesn't want us to try to just begin doing a bunch of good deeds to get right or to be saved or to go to heaven. What he wants us to do first is to ultimately surrender. We sing a lot about grace today and that grace he makes available to you this morning. And what that grace is, is it's an, it is an unmerited favor. It is something that is offered that we don't deserve. And it's not based on what we've done or who we are. It's based on what he's done and on who he is. And when Jesus died and he rose, just as we read about this morning, he did that so that you can be forgiven. And if you've never experienced that forgiveness and that brand new started, if you've never experienced what it's like to have your sins buried and removed and replaced with the very righteousness of Jesus, then it starts today for you, right where you sit. If you just choose to admit to Jesus today that you've sinned and you invite him who died and rose to come and forgive you and to take over your life and he'll do it. If you've already made that choice, Man, let him use your life, even with all of the inconvenience, to put himself on display as you serve other people, both within the body of Christ, within the church, and outside as well. Lord, thank you for this, thank you for this invitation. <laughs> Lord, thank you that when we give our lives to Jesus, that it's not all over at that point. Lord, there's still lives to impact, and we can do that, Lord, because you live within us. And so help us as Christians not to get into that mode where... We just miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve because we're too busy or we've got somewhere to go or it's just gonna to require too much or we just don't feel like it. But Lord, help us to find the sweet spot. Lord, there are areas where, where I don't need to serve, God, cause I'll probably make it worse rather than better. Lord, you've gifted me in other areas and then we're not saying that all of us need to just serve until we collapse. But Lord, there's a sweet spot for all of us where we can plug in and make a difference. And there's also that place where we can serve to fill a gap just because we love your work. We love the church. We want to see people impacted. Show us how to do that. Lord, give us courage to follow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.